Snowman Podcast. Welcome back to the Snowman Podcast. I'm your host, Snowman, coming to you on a beautiful day in 2020. Folks, let me ask you a question. Who are your heroes? For some, we think to our parents, or perhaps a sports player, or possibly even an actor. I know I've done all those things. But I want to tell you about a hero I have that I really only heard about a couple of years ago. His name is Don Stratton. And I hope that after I tell you his story, he'll be one of your heroes as well. Most of the information I'll be sharing with you is from his autobiography, and I'll tell you more about the name of that book and other details about it at the end of the podcast. So Don Stratton, he was an average fella, born in a small town and raised during the Great Depression, landlocked his entire life. He decided to join the Navy in 1940 to help put food on the table for his family. After he finished basic training, he was assigned to a ship he would call home, the USS Arizona. That name should give you pause, for most everybody knows what the Arizona is synonymous with. That's right, Pearl Harbor. But I'd like to tell you a little bit more about his naval journey before we get to December 7th. To a man from a small landlocked town, the USS Arizona was probably the grandest thing he'd ever seen in his life. Imagine if that were you. Your new home, a massive battleship that if unloaded could go up to speeds of 21 knots per hour, roughly 24 miles per hour in our um, more simple way of thinking. While that may not seem fast, believe me, it's faster than you think. I've been on a boat many times, and when you think you're only going 20 miles an hour, you're flying in a boat. Uh, the Arizona was extremely accurate with her long-range 14-inch guns, boasting multiple hits on targets 20 miles away. In his book, Don Stratton said, On a clear day, you can roughly see 12 miles with an unaided eye. The target was another 8 miles beyond that. End quote. If there were to be a naval fight at night, all you'd be able to see would be the flashes of the explosions. The shells that were fired from the Arizona weighed anywhere between 18 to 2,500 pounds. So imagine if you're on any type of ship in naval warfare, most of the time you didn't even see the other ship you were fighting. But you heard the explosions, and if you were at night, you could see the magazines exploding and the other guns firing. It was probably a sight none of us can imagine. And if you serve in the Navy or the Coast Guard or the Marines or even the Army and Air Force, all the branches of the military, um, you do know what I'm talking about because you've at least been on night maneuvers and have seen uh, targets exploding in the night. And so for basic people, though, that's something unimaginable for us. Um so back, back to the Arizona. The Arizona was truly a remarkable ship, and many even considered her to be the pride of the Navy. So with that perspective in mind, think as if you were Don Stratton. You're a 19-year-old kid. You're in the U.S. Navy on the toughest ship she's got. You probably think she, you're invincible, right? Naturally, I would. However, we need to have a little bit more context about Mr. Stratton. His battle station was at the anti-aircraft guns on the port side. That's the left side of the ship for all you landlubbers like me. 
Mr. Stratton said that, it was ba- that his battle station was high enough up on the ship from the main deck, you had to scale several flights of ladders to get to it. His, his station was known as the Director. They practiced about two times a week and got so good they were like the workings of a fine Swiss watch. He enjoyed what most young men his age did, the latest music and dances, and the Arizona could even boast they had the best band in the Navy, and they even won first place in the Battle of the Bands in 1941, post-hominously. Now comes the part of the story which, to this day, is hard to even fathom. December 7th, 1941. Sunday morning started off like any other for Mr. Stratton. He had slept on deck and awoke just after 5 a.m. Reveille was at 5.30, so he was up before even roll call and all that. Um, after freshening up, he put casual attire on, which was permitted by the Navy on Sundays. It's important to tell you what he wore because of what happens later. All he wore was white shorts and a white t-shirt and his sailor cap. The attack initiated at 7.40 a.m., but no one at the harbor knew yet. At 7.55, he was on his way to visit a friend in sickbay. Someone yelled that the water tower on Ford Island was being bombed with all the aircraft that had been parked uptight next to each other engulfed in flames. That's when the other planes began to pass overhead, and the sailors all saw the markings of the red meatball on them, Japanese zeros. Without hesitation, but with plenty of fear, Mr. Stratton ran to his battle station, but before he reached it, the first torpedo hit the ship. Though the explosion rocked the ship, it did not slow him down to get to his station. When he finally reached there, he saw the harbor was in total chaos. One zero flew so close, he could even see the pilot taunting him. After he and his other shipmates reached their station, they realized they were low on ammunition, but they resolved to fight anyway. Loading the guns, they aimed for the high-altitude bombers because the ships that were dropping torpedoes were too low and they risked hitting their fellow ships and sailors stationed next to them in the harbor. They... So with aiming at the high-altitude bombers, they tried to hit them, but the bombers were just too far up. They could not get them at all. It was just more or less they were no good at their post. They couldn't do anything. All they could do was watch as the Japanese inflicted enormous destruction on the U.S. naval fleet. He watched as the Oklahoma capsized after being struck multiple times. The Pennsylvania exploded while she was being repaired in dry dock. The American fleet was entirely ablaze. The explosions were deafening. And then it happened. Mr. Stratton remembered the very minute it did. 8.06 a.m. A 1,760-pound armor-piercing bomb was dropped by a high-altitude bomber flying at 10,000 feet just under two miles high. When it hit the Arizona, it broke through four steel decks before exploding in the forward ammunition magazine. The explosion was so great, it blew the number one turret into the air before it crashed down onto the burning deck, killing multiple sailors. A fireball shot out from the ship five to 600 feet in the air and enveloped Stratton and his shipmates at their battle station. 
The explosion broke the ship into two pieces, killing Rear Admiral Kidd and Captain Van Valkenburg instantly, as well as the best band in the Navy. All were incinerated when the magazine exploded, for that was their battle station. Besides them, over 1,000 other sailors and U.S. Marines who sailed on board the Arizona were killed instantly when the bomb hit. While the Arizona was destroyed, the explosion extinguished the flames on board the neighboring ship called the Vestal. Though it blew overboard a hundred of her crew, and body parts of the crew of the Arizona rained down on the survivors as well as of the Vestal as well as other ships. Blood, fire, oil, and water were everywhere. I mean, it's mind-boggling to think about that day. And, yes, there have been movies made about it, but no movie can capture the horror of what happened at Pearl Harbor. For the survivors who were there, it was permanently etched into their minds. The explosion broke the ship into two pieces. So, the like, the forward part of the ship was... You had to think about a, a Navy ship. They are manufactured precisely. They are some of the best things ever created and reinforced in ways that we have no idea. And the bomb literally ripped that in half, Rip, ripped it in part. Knowing the ship was lost, Stratton and the others at his station those who had uh, survived tried to abandon ship, but it looked bleak. When the fireball exploded, his clothes had caught fire, and so had he. He was burned on almost two-thirds of his body. Probably in shock, he couldn't feel the pain right away. All he could think of was a way to escape from this fiery inferno. He happened to see a well-known sailor on board the Vestal who was frantically trying to cut the ropes that tethered her to the Arizona, for they were trying to get out to sea before they went down and were um, useless, like all the other ships. The man's name was Joe George. And this is where another hero comes into play. He saw the six men who were burned so badly that they literally did not look human waving to him, frantically telling him to throw them a line so he could, um, so that they could escape the fiery death that almost awaited them. As Joe George searched for such a rope, Stratton noticed the skin on his arms had peeled away. Grabbing it, he tore them off and dropped them on the deck. I want to just tell you folks that earlier this year, I burned my hand with bacon grease. And it was my own fault, but man, did that hurt. And I had second degree burns on my hand. I cannot even begin to imagine the pain Mr. Stratton and those other men were dealing with. To have all the hair burned off of your head, to look down and not even recognize your own hands because they're just more or less bloody mesh and then to try and use those hands to escape is 
beyond remarkable. It is heroic that anyone tries to keep going after all that. So, when, as they were waiting for the line to be uh, thrown to them, Stratton and the other survivors happened to see that the captain of the vessel came over screaming at George to um, cut the line that he had just thrown to them. But Joe George was a boxer and pig-headed. He was a stubborn uh, fella that sailors would instantly say a different type of phrase, but I'm going to try to keep it clean. (laughs) Um, Joe George said he was not going to cut the line as long as there were guys he thought could possibly be saved. The captain threatened to court-martial him, and he said, go ahead, but I'm not cutting the line. The captain stormed off because he had other emergencies to tend to, and Joe George returned his attention to hollering for Don Stratton and the others to start climbing down the rope. And had it not been for Joe George, Don Stratton and those six men would not be alive today. He truly saved their lives. He doesn't, Joe George never saw himself as a hero. He, uh, he passed away in the late 90s. And he said after he threw them the line, he returned to his uh, work of just trying to get the next job done. So after the attack happened, Don Stratton and those fellow sailors were get gotten to the hospital as fast as possible and their wounds were being tended to. And I believe that within a week or so, they were on ships bound for California because that was the place where they could get best medical help. He spent over a year in the hospital receiving skin grafts to try and help him look somewhat human again. I mean, I just cannot imagine the pain of day in, day out, your muscles stiff and stiffening and then relaxing. And if you've ever had a cramp, it hurts. I can't imagine the pain he had. And I've said it multiple times already. What he went through was horrendous. So... The reason why I consider him to be one of the best heroes was after he had spent a year in the hospital, he was medically discharged. And no one would have blamed him for sitting out the rest of the war. But he hadn't even been in the war. And he wanted a little payback. And he had lost his ship. He had lost hundreds of his friends lost the best band he had ever heard in his life before war was even declared. And he wanted to be back in the action. So after spending some time at home, he decided to rejoin the Navy. 
However, he had to go back through basic. Despite having already served, he when he reenlisted, he had to go again through basic. And he said it was hard, but he made it through. And after rejoining the Navy and being assigned um, so after he made it through boot camp he was sent to San Francisco and he drew orders to report to the USS Stack a destroyer and he was a gunner's mate third class after when he served on the stack he survived New Guinea, Philippines, and then the destroyer drew duty, picket duty, that is, off Okinawa, Japan, which was the last major offensive of World War II in the Pacific Theater. Stratton is one of the few men who survived America's first great battle of the war, and the nation's last. And it, it's fully remarkable to think that you served on the biggest and grandest ship in the Navy. Your ship is completely lost. You lose over a thousand of your shipmates. And then you get that revenge that you've been seeking by seeing the enemy who you thought was the most terrifying force you've ever faced. You see them surrender after the Battle of Okinawa. They surrendered in September of, or August really, of 1945. So... But Don Stratton knew that had it not been for Joe George, he would not have been there. And Joe George was never uh, given any type of citation for his duties. Um, and so Don Stratton and his fellow uh, survivor, a uh, man by the name of Lauren Bruner, traveled to Washington, D.C., and this is in the early 2000s. Uh, Joe George, like I said, had passed away in 1996. He was 80 years old, so he was at a ripe old age. Um, and they started that fight in early 2000s. It took them 15-plus years to finally get it done. And I'm reading now from the Navy Times. In 2017, Stratton and Bruner traveled to Washington, D.C. to personally petition Congress and President Trump to award a posthumous medal to George. And they won their final battle of World War II. On December 7, 2017, George's family received on his behalf a bronze star with a V device for battlefield valor. This is from the Navy Times. Less than two years later, Mr. Bruner passed away at the age of 98. And 
Mr. Stratton passed away on February 15th, 2020. So they literally did it as their last great acts of the war. Um, after the war, Don Stratton got married and was married to his wife Velma for almost 70 years. And when Mr. Stratton passed away, he was living in Colorado Springs, Colorado, but he wanted to be buried in his native Nebraska. So I'm now reading from Nebraska TV, an ABC affiliate. Um, on Saturday, hundreds lined the roads from Colorado to Kansas to Red Cloud. And so people knew who Don Stratton was just based on the fact that he was one of the last USS Arizona survivors. And now there's only two. So he was the most recent to pass, and he was 97. He would have been 98 this year. And it, people respected him. All they had to see was when he, whenever he wore his hat, USS Arizona survivor. It, it's unfortunate that so many of y these young people today don't know and don't care enough to know who Don Stratton was and what he did when he was exactly their age almost 80 years ago today. That's what is so sad. And parents and teachers ought to be ashamed of themselves for letting great men like him fade into history without even giving him a blink or a nod. I'll wager that almost every single kid in schools today, either learning virtual or learning in, school, in the classroom or in college, have never heard of Don Stratton. And if you have, I salute you because you're one of the few. So I want you all to do yourself a favor. I want you to go and find a copy of his book. It's called All the Gallant Men, the first memoir by USS Arizona Survivor. He want, Heb wanted to write this book for many years, but he could never find a author who could help him do the format and the style. And then he was able to find one in a man named Ken Geyer. And it, it's so grand of a book. I was awed with it. I was captivated in ways that I rarely am with a book. And it's so well worth reading. So get your own copy of it or go to the library and get a, rent a copy, borrow a copy of All the Gallant Men because you are going to learn stuff that I can't tell you all in one episode of a podcast. Um, but I really do want you to learn about Mr. Stratton because he is one of the last of the greatest generation. We call them the greatest generation because they were volunteers. They volunteered to fight the Nazis. They volunteered to fight Imperial Japan. They gave up their lives to fight. 
the least we can do is give up a couple of hours to read about them. So I know this topic was kind of a heavy one, but I truly hope that you enjoyed hearing about Mr. Stratton, and I truly hope that he becomes one of your heroes. In closing, I'd like to play a recording of Taps. Taps is played at all military funerals, and it is the least I can do in honor of Mr. Stratton, for this is a type of eulogy slash um, biography type podcast. He is a true hero, and his legacy will never die as long as I'm around. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's listen to Taps. Thank you, Mr. Stratton, for your service, for your sacrifice, and for your duty to our great country. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of this episode. Until next time, I'm the Snowman. I'll see you on the next one.